Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 61. Today, we're talking with one of our good friends, Johnny Brook from Crafted Workshop. Johnny has really come on strong with his YouTube channel, has done a great job at working with sponsors early and often in an organic way for his audience. He also hammers home the content week in and week out. So we talk with Johnny about tips and learnings from working with sponsors and how he brings efficiency into everything he does. Johnny has amassed 268,000 plus YouTube subscribers in the last few years and has over 13 million channel views. He covers a large array of projects on his channel and he hits on everything from simple DIY builds to high-end professional furniture builds. Yeah, Johnny's a good bud of ours, so it's a really good conversation. And before we get into it, though, we do want to thank some of the new members that joined the MFP patron tribe this week. We had Adam from Lazy Guy DIY, Josh Pigford, and Andrew Giles. Thank you so much, guys. If you do want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. You can get some awesome rewards over there like our after show. But without further ado, here's our interview with Johnny Brook. All right, guys, welcome. We are here with our buddy, Johnny Brook. Johnny, what is up, my man? Welcome to Made for Profit. What's going on, y'all? Finally, man, getting on the show. I feel uh, feel a little honored right now. <laughs> I tell you what, it's funny, like uh, John and I were talking, and, uh, you know, like the three of us kind of have like a text chain, and we're always going back and <laughs> forth, and so it's like we talk to you all the time, and so it's like, oh, we've not had Johnny on the show. Yeah, no, should. We should bring Johnny on the show instead of it was, just texting him It was actually my personal week. intent to wait this long because the radio voice is so good that we oh, were yeah, afraid baby. our audience <laughs> wouldn't want to hear us anymore, and they would just want that voice. The face for <laughs> radio. No, we're, we're, <laughs> the sweet, the, sultry sounds of, of Johnny Brook. Uh, pumped yeah. to have you on. Yeah, yeah dude. After I'm, this, I'm he's doing um, some smooth jazz. It'll be yeah. on Sirius XM. Doing some uh, sweet voiceover for uh, Activia later today, so... <laughs> Uh, yes yeah this is a good time so yeah and and uh and johnny you used to we were we were just talking about a, a minute ago you used to do your own podcast I did. You, you've made it a full 52 episodes yep. and uh and then I quit. It was like <laughs> then my then wife got pregnant so, uh yeah it was your wife got pregnant life changes yep yep had to prioritize and the podcast was not pulling its weight in my uh in my business so it had to <laughs> had to get the axe understand man understand well uh, if if any of our audience does not know you from the Crafted Workshop or the Crafted Podcast, uh, why don't you give us just a, a quick overview, let the folks know who you are, what you do, and uh, kind of a, a brief little backstory of how you got here. Yeah, so I guess I started doing woodworking videos a little over two years ago, maybe like two and a half. Um, so before it was Crafted Workshop, it was Crafted Magazine, so I covered like kind of all kinds of men's lifestyle stuff, you know, high-end leather and denim and coffee and beer and all the stuff basically I'm into. And I figured, oh, let me do a woodworking project. It would kind of fit into this whole kind of handmade, made in USA theme that I had. My wife and I had just moved into this new house and I had a big garage. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll give this a shot. And so did a, a video on a workbench project and it did well. And I'm like, oh, well, let me, let me do a little bit more of this. And then I kind of started diving into the YouTube community, watching Bob and Jimmy and, and people like that, Mark Spagnolo. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, well, this woodworking stuff is doing way better than anything else I'm doing. So let me just dive into that. And that's when I kind of rebranded to Crafted Workshop. And shortly after that, I actually took it full time. Um, you know, my wife was gracious enough to basically say, hey, you should quit your day job. I'm pretty sure you could do this for a living. And so I think I quit when I had like 5,000 subscribers or something ridiculously small. <laughs> and uh, that allowed me to kind of play the the volume game and just, you know, know, keep putting up videos consistently almost every week since then. And, you know, the channel's grown really nicely over the past couple of years and I've been able to definitely make it a, a good living since then. And yeah, things have been great, but my content mostly is 
woodworking, I do a little bit of welding and, you know, dabble in other things like leatherworking and stuff like that. But mostly that kind of mid-century modern style of furniture, but I mix it up. I mean, you know, we make projects every week, so you got to keep it interesting and make some fun, different stuff. So I'm a little bit all over the place, but mostly furniture. So gotcha. Yeah. And that's, and we, uh, let's see, I think we, I don't even know when we met, if that was Instagram. I mean, I know what, yeah. when we, when oh, we yeah, officially met yeah. was WIA, but I, yeah, I can't recall, but yeah, that was, I think the 2015 WIA. Yeah. Something right? like that. Yeah. It or was 2016, maybe 2016. Yeah. The last one, yeah. I guess and they haven't had one since it was the one in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's right. We went in, we shut it down. Yep. Uh, yeah. Shared we, a room. That, <laughs> shared, shared a room. I was like, to the suite this? somehow. And uh, yeah. I, I, I talked to my magic at the front desk and we got a nice little suite yeah. and stayed up very late talking about business stuff. And I was like, all right, this Brad guy, I can, I can, I can get down with him. He's a, he's a cool dude. Yeah. So We're like, this is, yeah, this yeah. is it. Then all of a sudden Johnny's like, I'm going full time. And I was yeah. like, whoa, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not quite there yet. Dude. Yeah. So, you were yeah. a little bit more conservative <laughs> on that side of things for sure. Yeah. 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 And, but it's, uh, it's, it was awesome to watch you move so quickly into it because, uh, like you said, you know, doubling down, I think that's something that, uh, obviously and, and a lot of our listeners struggle with is they're like, when do I make yeah. that jump? It's and hard. There's, there's, you know, there's like, kind of three sides of that fence. There's like the ultra conservative, like I'm not going to do it until I'm like completely replaced my salary, which is a very long road to hoe. Yeah. There's the like, I, you know, build it and they will come type thing, which you did. And then there's Mm kind of somewhere in between, which is kind of like I did. So it's always cool to see uh, when it works out. It's like people just take the plunge. And uh, what was it? I think, I think it was Sean Van Dyke, right? John, who said uh, you get a jump because you're not going to know what you, what wings you have until you jump off the ledge. So yeah, that's pretty cool to well, see it's amazing that play out in your scenario. How that mentality kind of shifts when you go from doing it as kind of a hobby part time thing to a full time. Like it, it became so much more of a serious business for me. You know, before I was all about, oh, you know, I'll get a free drill here and there, and you know, maybe some free materials and stuff, and that was cool. But as soon as I went full time, it's like, all right, I need to, I need to pay my bills. You know, so I need to turn this into a real business. I need to get sponsors. I need to, you know, do the whole business bank account thing and you know, make it legit. So, um, I think if you really commit to it, you will see your business grow much, much faster just because I don't know how you could quit your day job and not just get a huge amount of drive, uh, trying to build that new business. And, and I was lucky in that my wife, you know, has a good job. We could easily survive on her salary. Uh, so it was not a big risk for me. You know, I could always, if this failed, go back and get a job doing what I was doing before, I was in marketing and social media and digital marketing kind of stuff. So those jobs are uh, definitely a plenty these days. So yeah, it was it was not a huge risk, and I was pretty confident I could do it. But uh, yeah, it definitely made me work harder just knowing. All right, this this is real now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think the reality of the 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 nominal side of things is what most people tend to look at. But um, for for you know people like ourselves who essentially. Um, me and you being, uh, you know, two people who just went all in on it pretty much. Um, and, and Brad taking that like middle road, as he just said, um, you know, I think it's the overall, uh, workflow and everything that goes into being an actual quote unquote business that becomes much more overwhelming compared to the dollar signs of it. I mean, when you, when you sit back and look at all of the things that go into a day to day and, and what the three of us do, um, you're handling everything on this yep. scope of a business from the financials all the way to uh, product development, you know, uh, <laughs> looking at contracts, you know, which is, quote unquote, legal. And then all of the, uh, you know, inquir- inquiries for if you're doing any custom work, which I know you've done a little bit of. Yep. Um, so, you know, getting a good uh, plan for that, that was something I struggled with early on. And I still struggle with right now is like, how do you set up your daily workflow? You know, how do you get into a groove which is something that Brad and I envy from from your end is that you you know you are extremely consistent in your content production. Um, you do hammer it out on a weekly basis, um, and you it seems at least from a perspective uh, analysis that you have found somewhat of a groove. You know how do you? What kind I'm of glad advice it looks do you that way <laughs> for anyone you know, that that's looking to get into it. As far as that like mountain of uh, or or pile of stuff that needs done on a daily, because uh, yeah, that's something we struggle with and get a lot of questions on. And I'm curious on how you you get it done. I mean, I think one thing I've slowly learned to do is delegate, because I think that's one of the things I was very much 
the DIY mentality for a long time. But eventually it's like, why am I doing my own taxes? Why am I mowing my own lawn? Why am I doing these things that are taking up a lot of my time that I'm not very good at uh, when I can pay a, a cheaper rate than I value my own time at? to get them done and allow me to have more time to work on my business. Same thing with, I, I hired an editor a couple, I guess a couple months ago now, and that's been huge. That frees up one day a week, which that is a massive amount of time saving. That's like 20% of my, my weekly work time that has been freed up. And I think my video quality has gone up because of it. So, you know, things like that, I think have really allowed me to be more efficient. Um, I think also on the woodworking side, uh, on the actual making side, I try to be as efficient as possible. So I immediately kind of went after, you know, the, the nicer tools per se, you know, I, I really wanted a good dust collection system and, and efficient tools to allow me to build these projects at a faster pace. I mean, I think that makes me maybe a little bit less relatable to the common, you know, weekend warrior. But for me, that's the type of stuff that I enjoy making. So that's kind of what I'm going for. And so, you know, by combining, you know, business efficiency and you know, making efficiency, it allows me to kind of keep my pace up. And, you know, it has the last couple of months have definitely been difficult because uh, we, my wife and I had a, a kid. So, you know, he's like three and a half months old. So that's been kind of crazy. And then I've also been doing this Wood Whisperer Guild project kind of in the background. Uh, that's I'm 12 videos deep into that. And I'm just finishing that up. So, you know, doing that and trying to keep the YouTube channel going. I've missed a couple weeks here and there over the past three months, but uh, you know now that that's wrapped up, I should be able to to get back to a pretty much weekly schedule. But you know, I, I just tried to squeeze efficiency out of my business wherever I could, whether that was on the actual business side or on the making side, and it's been really helpful. I've actually been reading uh, the the four hour work week, which is pretty old at this point, but still has yeah, so yeah. much applicable information. I mean, Tim is just obviously a uh, a really talented, smart person. And, you know, like one of the big things I took away was don't check my email so frequently. Like I don't need to check my email yeah. every morning and then every lunch break and then in the afternoon and then in the evening, you know, like do it like one or two times a day and you'll get so much more done. Cause I find myself wanting to uh, procrastinate on certain things. You know, if I'm getting to a really challenging or tricky step in a project, I'll find myself, you know, checking email or putting clips in a timeline and kind of shuffling them around, yeah. you know, like doing things that jumping on social. Yeah. They're technically productive, but they're not what I need to be doing. So trying to eliminate those things from my life as well. Cause like, I'm trying to get to the point where I don't have to work weekends. I don't have to ever work nights. You know, we've got a new kid. I want to be able to spend time with him and my wife. And so again, efficiency, reducing things that aren't working for me. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I had the podcast. I had a lot of fun with it, but when I looked at what I was doing every week, that was the thing that was underperforming for the amount of time it was taking up. So, you know, sometimes you just got to take a, a hard look at the thing you're things you're doing and see what's what's not doing well and get rid of it. So, I think yeah, was, yeah, I mean, th that's a great point. Um, the whole niching down or like, cutting the fat kind yeah. of concept. Um, it is it's difficult for us as quote unquote DIYers. Um, who do a lot of things ourselves. You know, we, we literally look at problems and know that we can fix them ourselves. <laughs> and yeah. that's how we got into this stuff. You know, like, oh, there's a hole in my wall. I can fix it, yep. you know, or I, my car needs new brakes. You know, I can fix it. Um, looking at your business, though, it's difficult for a lot of us to, to make that um, conceptualization of the fact that someone else is better than you at this and to pay them uh, yeah, and is to very them, hard, you know, and, that's and the it's, big thing. it's something that, um, you know, we all struggle with quote unquote, the Superman syndrome, Brad and I have talked about mm -hmm. it a ton. Um, so besides, you know, eliminating the, uh, the podcast from what's going on, um, you know, talk a little bit about how your brands evolved, because I think that's also interesting. You kind of touched on it earlier, um, on the projects and types of style stuff you were doing to where you are now with the, you know, the, the crafted workshop brand. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, on that side, again, with efficiency, I, I've kind of gotten to the point where most of my videos are, are pretty much the same format wise. You know, I always start with an intro where I'm in front of the camera and I dive right into the project. I do voiceover for all my videos, which I find 
gives me much, much more efficiency when I'm filming. Like I don't have to stop what I'm doing very much when I'm out in the shop uh, to, to talk to the camera, to wait for the dust collector to shut off and, you know, things to quiet down and then get a lapel mic set up or whatever. Um, so I, I can really kind of fly through projects. And, you know, while talking to the camera more might be a little bit better and might, you know, make me more relatable or whatever, I find that the efficiency I gain by just ma- mostly sticking to voiceover is huge for me. So I've kind of got that template set up, you know, dive into voiceover for three or four minutes, do my kind of 30 second ad break, do more voiceover, maybe do like one little quick in front of the camera tip halfway through and then close it out with an outro where I'm in front of the camera that I film at the same time as the intro and, uh, you know, some slider shots to make things look nice and sexy and then I'm out and on to the next thing. So, you know, that's uh, getting that kind of formula down was really helpful. And I definitely modeled my videos heavily after people that I like to watch. I mean, I know Bob from I Like to Make Stuff was an early huge inspiration for me. And so if you watch my videos and compare them to his videos a couple of years ago, they're pretty similar. But I think it's a format that works really well for education. It might not be as entertaining as some people's videos, but I think I want more to teach people uh, then, you know, just be in your face, hilarious, whatever antics. Uh, and I just think that works better for me. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just been kind of a slow evolution over time. I've, you know, gotten a little bit better camera gear as time went on, you know, up the audio quality up to my lighting and that kind of stuff. But if you look back at my videos two years ago versus today, they are very, very similar. So I've really been able to, to get in that rhythm and that helps things a lot. Cause I know like what angles work in my shop, where to put the camera and I can just get to work, you know? So I also usually go out in the shop with my plan almost done. Like I model everything in SketchUp. I generate a cut list from that. And then I go out in the shop with a, you know, 70% formulated plan with all, all the details and stuff. So I can just, you know, again, get to work and not have to think, okay, how do these all going to fit on a piece of plywood or whatever? I've already got all that figured out. So, um, I I hate to keep saying the word efficiency, but that's kind of the, the name of the game for me. So, yeah, I, I think the the key there, Johnny, is that the, uh, you know, what I'm hearing you say, not just efficiency, is that what you're allowing yourself to do is just execute, yeah. right? So you're taking all the barriers away. You know all the things that you need to know. You know where you're going to put the camera. You know what tools you're going to use. They're going to help perform the best. You know how the cut list and everything's going to go together so that oh, you don't have to think about that stuff. And yep. that is the piece, like... When I go back and look at projects, like when I get slowed down, like I'm in the middle of this bath remodel right now. Well, I had like, you know, I had some issues with the plumbing and I'm like, well, I don't know because this is not something I do every day. So what you know? Do I need to call a plumber? Like, how does this reroute? What does this look like? And then like kind of every step along the way, I'm second guessing myself uh, because this is not something I'm used to. Plus, I'm filming in a five by six bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get the angles yep. and like, with probably bad uh, lighting. And yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've got I've got a, a huge light in there, like trying to add light and trying to work around that. So like all those little things are things that slow me down. And, you know, I'm, I'm in it twice as long as I thought I would already. And, yep. and so like I, I totally agree with you um, about being in the shop and taking those things away. I think another huge one as well is is just uh having proper organization. I know you've been doing a ton of that with your yes. outfeed table. I'm sure that's really increased your your uh, organization and efficiency having yeah. all that stuff right there for your assembly and outfeed so you don't have to move around the shop as much to get to things. Yeah, workflow is is huge. I mean, that was something I really kind of attacked from more of a production standpoint, even though I'm really not making furniture to sell much at all these days. But, you know, again, I think speed is the name of the game here. The more videos we can make, the essentially the more money we can make and hopefully the faster we can grow. And so I laid out everything thinking of it as, okay, how, how are these things going to be laid out so I can build things as quick and easily as possible. And so, yeah, all my workflow is set up in that way and it's, uh, it's evolved a lot, but I'm really, really happy with where it's at right now. I can, I can knock things out pretty quickly. So, uh, it's been been really nice, and I'm fortunate to have you know sponsors who provide me with pr- some pretty sweet tools, and <laughs> those help a lot too. too yes, so those those are always nice. <laughs> so hitting on hitting on the sponsors, why don't we jump in a bit? Because yeah. I know that uh, so you do work with uh, a lot of companies, and and uh, you know not even just kind of the ones that we all know, and the larger ones is like one of the things that that I think sets you apart is uh you also work with a lot of the smaller brands too and it yeah. just seems like you're always 
somebody new that you're talking to or working with, uh, and and I know with your background in marketing and social media with the the cigar company that that has kind of been uh, you know a feather in your cap and something Definitely. that differentiates you. So why don't you like talk about that a little bit about you know how you've used that and kind of what are the what are the things that that you look at it from a different perspective as a marketer and somebody who's been in the business versus like just somebody who's trying to make woodworking videos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, so my previous day job, I worked for a, a pretty large cigar company, kind of did most of the digital marketing, at least when I started the, the department kind of grew as I went on, but I was kind of on the other side of, I, I was the people that we talked to, to, to get ads. So I kind of know what they're looking for a lot of times and, you know, can kind of speak that language. So, you know, at the end of the day, to me, most advertisers, it's all numbers, you know, they want to see views, clicks and purchases. So uh, if you can figure out a way to effectively get consistent views and then track those clicks and purchases, your advertisers are going to be super happy with you. So um, from the very beginning, I was very clear with all that with tracking all all of the, the analytics uh, really effectively and providing those with my advertisers. And that allowed me to come almost right out of the gate with sponsors. I mean, I had probably uh, within the first like five to 10 videos, I, I had sponsors and have barely had a video not been sponsored since then. So um, being able to kind of speak that language and, and know what they're looking for has been super helpful. I also early on put together a media kit, which I think everybody should do if they're looking to get into the content game that, you know, just kind of outlines my analytics and what I work on and the type of content I make and, and maybe an ad rate card depends if you want to do that or not. I do it just makes things easier. Uh, and that just allows me that any email I get from like a prospective company, even if it's just a press release, I can respond saying, Hey, that sounds like a cool product. You guys want to sponsor a project? Here's my media kit. And you know, nine times out of 10, you never hear from them again because it's some ad agency or PR firm. But that one time, that could be a prospective new client. And a lot of those have turned into longtime sponsorships for me. So, you know, I'm just trying to be as prepared as I can to respond to those companies and, you know, uh, know what they're looking for. And it, it works pretty well. So, yeah, I've had a number of the same sponsors over time, but also I'm always picking up new people that, that you know, maybe reach out or whatever. And uh, it, it works really well. I mean, I sell all my ads in kind of 30 second mid-roll ad formats for the most part. Um, I kind of want to move away from that a little bit in the future just because it's a little harder to manage, I think, than some of the annual contracts where it's just, hey, use our tools in your videos, throw a link in the video description and, and you'll get paid X dollars uh, rather than having to try to manage and, and squeeze in all those mid-roll ads. But again, going back to the way I designed kind of my video templates, I did that in a way that makes it really easy for me to plug in ads and make them feel organic and not like they're interrupting the video in a big way. So uh, again, that all just kind of goes back to yes. how I design things. And again, a lot of that was from Bob. So, and also Ben Ueda. I mean, I think both of them, you know, had nailed that formula and just did it over and over and over and over and over again. And their audience likes it and it works for them. So yeah, I, I definitely followed that yeah, model. The old sanding ad. Yeah. It's like whenever oh, yeah. Johnny's getting ready to sand, oh, like, yeah. here comes the ad. Oh yeah. It's while gotta be I'm the most sanding, boring let's thing. Let's talk about the yes. new. <laughs> while I'm gluing this thing together for 35 <laughs> seconds, let me talk about this new gadget. Yeah. It's because yes. <laughs> it doesn't feel as interruptive. You know, I'm just doing a little right, top it's third not like overlay. A full takeover. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, People, I do the little ticker bar at the bottom so people know how long is left. And if they want to skip it, they can, although I'd rather you not. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty effective format for me, I think. But yeah, I, I would love to move to more annual stuff. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how 2019 well, I, I think goes. that's part of like, you know, yeah, and, and part of managing, like you said, I, I think that uh, it goes back to your efficiency play, right? Yep. I, I love the idea of having that all packaged. Because what people don't realize, and, and, you know, it's, you know, first world problems, is that, like, when you become a content creator and when you reach certain level that however these people get our names and stuff, yeah. like, they sweep. I don't know how they even yeah, do it. who but knows? I noticed, uh, you know, recently I had a video do really well, and my influx of mail has gone way up. So I'm sure they have, like, a list of all the videos that went over a certain threshold in the last yep. week or month or whatever, and they can just grab your email, and then they just blast you. Uh, and so... It is. Yeah, I mean, that's time consuming in and of itself of just getting and responding to all those. Because like you said, you know, there's so many now that, you know, 25% of them these days are probably like these 
you know, Amazon only Chinese companies yeah, just who are like straight to junk. Yeah, I've, I've got a uh, magnetic armband <laughs> yeah. and a uh, sonar and an LED candle. Like, <laughs> you think you could use that in a project? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, that that I, I love that efficiency of even just responding on that too. Well, and there's no set format in our kind of world for ad types. So even just detailing, okay, this is what my ads look like. This is how long they are, and this is how much they cost. Gives them something that they can wrap their heads around, you know. Because I think a lot of, especially the new companies that are coming into this segment and maybe want to do some advertising, they have no idea what standard what you know, rates are, all that kind of stuff. So I think it can feel really intimidating to them. And I think that's why I've been able to maybe land some more sponsors is just because I make it easy for them. Either they can afford this or not. And if they can, let's give it a shot, you know? So it, it makes it pretty simple. Making it easy on the sponsor or a client in any context, I think yes. is, a, is a massive value add to your brand. We, when we had a, we had Jen Woodhouse on and she was talking about her um, client relationship process, especially with sponsors and how she goes above and beyond to make their lives easy. All that does is put you in a more favorable light. It makes you look better to them because typically in these situations, that person who you're, um, you know, you're, you're speaking with is reporting to somebody else. Definitely. Um, therefore, they have to look good to them. And it's just like an up the chain kind of concept. And the easier you make their lives better. Um, so, you know, that that's a good piece of advice when you're dealing with anything, even if it's outside of a sponsorship relationship. If, if you're doing custom work. And um, an individual uh, you're speaking with is a liaison between a company or, you know, the purchasing agent for a, a larger brand or a remodel or something that's happening. Um, make their life as easy as possible. Give them as much information as you possibly can. That's always going to put you in a more favorable light. Um, yep. That's a good piece of advice for just general business practice, uh, not just specifically working with sponsors. Well, and it avoids the massive email back and forth that you get a lot of times too. just laying it out there. Here's what I have. Take it or leave it. And, you know, that way you don't have, to have 30 emails back and forth ironing out what exactly you're going to do for them and can really make that process more efficient. Because those things can drag out like crazy if you don't have some kind of setup with a, a format of that kind of thing. And that's also why I sell my ad packages usually in a minimum of four, because there is always so much back and forth. You know, some companies want to have contracts and, you know, review beforehand and all that stuff. It's just not worth doing for one ad. You know, you, you end up spending, you know, four or five hours on email and conference calls for one ad and you're not going to really make a lot of money in the long run. So, um, you're also not going to be able to spend any time in the shop. So, uh, yeah, trying to sell those packages rather than one-offs is really helpful too. Yeah. If you're doing, you know, 52 videos a year and you're trying to sell to 52 different clients, <laughs> yeah, obviously good luck. you can see the time, the time there, the time difference. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a, an advocate for the, uh, you know, the bundling concept as well as, you know, trying to create long-term relationships um, and that's the same for sponsors as well as, as clients. You know, we we've talked on the show a bunch about if you can get if you can get one client, regardless of what you're doing, to just pay you whatever you're looking to get paid, um, your life's much easier than if you're yep. trying to hunt down multiples and trying to pull in new uh, new new people all the time. Um, and that's always going to go back to you know you making their lives easier, making you know, excuse me, massaging the relationship to the best of your ability, making sure that it's a two way street and not just a transaction. Um, and those are typically always going to work out the best yeah. for for both parties. And and it's how you should be looking at business in general, um, at least in my opinion. And it seems like in, in, in yours as well. Um, uh, so I think it's interesting, you know, going back to what Brad was saying, looking at the array, vast array of sponsors that you've worked with. Um, you know, we've got a lot of young channels and a lot of young influencers who listen to the show. Um, you know, how do you go about, you know, finding some of these some of these brands? Because you do work with uh, some some companies that are typically new to the space or yep. um, are not new to the tool world specifically, but maybe new to influencer marketing or marketing in our area. How do you go about, you know, you finding them and working that relationship? Yeah, so I think a lot of it comes from just when I plan out my editorial calendar and think about, okay, what projects do I have coming up over the next, you know, two months or so? And thinking about what specific items I'm going to be using in those projects and, and really kind of featuring already naturally. And then thinking of potential sponsors that could go along with that, you know, so like in a couple of weeks, I'm building a Murphy bed. So it's five sheets of plywood. So I'm going to be using Pure Bond, who's one of my regular sponsors. And I'm using a Murphy bed kit from Rockler, you know, so like I knew 
I wanted to build a Murphy bed. And I just had to think about how I could find sponsors that would plug in well with that project. And that kind of applies for anything I'm doing. I think that's how, you know, sometimes some of the weird, like more random sponsors I've had uh, have kind of came into the picture. Um, but then other ones um, like this Aero Fastener company, who has become one of my, you know, more regular sponsors. I think they sent me a press release a while ago and I did the same thing I mentioned earlier where I said, Hey, I'd love to use some of your tools in a upcoming sponsored project. And it just kind of went from there. Um, if it's a company you're not currently in touch with and you're looking to get in touch with them, uh, usually where I go first is kind of the press releases or news section of the company's website. A lot of times those are going to have the marketing person you know, in that press release somewhere. That's what I used to do at my previous day job was write a lot of press releases. So I kind of knew, uh, you know, how that would all work there. And so once you find that email, you can really kind of get in touch with the right person. Cause that's, I think 90% of the battle is finding the correct person to, to, to talk to, you know, right. cause sending an email to info at, you know, whoever.com, rarely is going to get you to anybody very useful. Um, I've kind of had the same experience with a lot of social media stuff. Like typically the person who's running the social media account, a lot of times is not going to be the the head marketing person you need to talk to. A lot of times that's going to be kind of an intern or something like that. So it depends on the size of the company. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I found that, you know, official press releases are a great way to get in touch with the, the right person. I'm also a big fan of going to trade shows when you can. Like this past week was IWF, the International Woodworking Fair in Atlanta. And it's a pretty big show. And at most of the booths, they had somebody who was at least in the marketing department. So it's a great to kind of float around that show, pass out business cards or, or stickers in my case, and, you know, just get in touch with the, the people and talk to them about who you are, uh, get their business card, and then you can follow up after the show. And, you know, I went to IWF, it's only every other year. So I went two years ago, right after I'd kind of gone full time and, and really, I think made a lot of connections there that have still been super value to super valuable to my business through to today. So uh, I think those are also a, a great place to kind of interact and network when you, you can do that kind of thing. Um, WorkbenchCon, I think is probably another good example that's coming up again, uh, I guess in February, uh, I'll actually be talking about sponsorships at WorkbenchCon, So definitely go check that out. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think meeting and greeting people in person is always very valuable. Shows them you're kind of a legit business and not some random dude in his basement, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Is that uh, when the legit business is going to be somebody who presents themselves professionally, who has the media kit, who has the full nine yards, and then also uh, about the follow up, right? We yep. talked about follow up a ton on the on the show, and uh, coming out of of conferences and stuff like that, the problem that you have is that guess what the 400 other people that they talk to are also sending them Definitely. the same exact email, right? So. That person, when they get back, that is just going to be the worst week ever oh, yeah. because they were gone from their day job with all the other stuff that they're supposed to be doing. They've been at a trade show for you know three, four days in a row, so they haven't been able to catch up on their regular email, plus all the other daily activities that they have. Then all of a sudden they get an influx of a couple hundred emails. And so a lot of those you know just go by the wayside, especially if it's one like, oh, hey, it was great to meet you at the show. Uh, it'd be awesome to work with you at some point. Yep. Like that email rarely will get you anywhere nope. because what what you're doing is you're putting the impetus on them to come up with like, okay, what does that look like? How are we going to, how are we going to work? What of my products do you want to use? Yep. What's your product going to look like? Or what's the project going to look like? Versus I love what you're saying about, uh, you know, you, you go in, you're like, okay, Hey, it was great to meet you. I've got a Murphy bed build coming up. It's going to be in October. Uh, I would love to use some hardware from uh, your catalog. Here's what I'm thinking. This is what it's going to look like. I'm going to give you a 30 second mid roll ad yep. and it's going to be 5 million bucks. Yeah. And so here's my in, media kit, you know, so <laughs> and here's the media just kit. Give them examples of what I've done. Yeah. Make it super easy for them to say yes. Make it easy for them to go to their, you know, higher up, which they're probably going to have to do potentially get that budget item approved and, and, you know, get to work. It's uh, yeah. That saying, Oh, it's nice to meet you. Let's do something. That's that's useless. You know? That's horrible. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 horrible. You've got to you got to make it easy for them to say yes. Exactly. You know, it's like give them something to say yes to that. And that's something that, you know, I struggled with before. Me too. And uh, I realized like, oh, like it, like I now whenever I send an email, if it's like a new relationship, 
I try to make it extremely pointed to say, here's what I want. Uh, here's how I think it'll work. Instead of being like, hey, it'd be great to do some projects with you. Like, I'm, I'm you know, throw something out there. Like, yep. maybe they don't bite on it. Uh, and then that's where you get to the back and forth. And so, you know, some of that, like, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the efficiency because, you know, earlier in the show, you mentioned, you know, take it or leave it. So uh, when you send something out and you say, hey, here's here's a package, you know, I'd like to get four videos in a package. Here's how much it's going to cost. Um, and here's what's outlined. And then they give it to you uh, or you give it to them and it's it's a total package price. Uh, what's been your experience and what do you do when they come back and go, ah, you know, that's outside our budget. We'd still love to work with you though. Yeah. So a lot of times if they're, you know, really a smaller company and maybe have a little bit of a tighter budget, because I know for a lot of these companies, you know, four ads from somebody like us could be like 50% of their marketing budget, like legitimately, you know? So some of these companies are pretty small or they maybe just don't even put enough emphasis on marketing in general. So I think that's the case more, more of the times. But uh, a lot of times what I'll try to do in that situation is give them a little value added, you know, throw in a, a sponsored social media post or, you know, do, do some little extra thing there to, to sweeten the pot a little bit. Um, rarely will I reduce my price because I just think that, you know, my price is set pretty much uh, where I think the the value is based on kind of average views and that kind of thing. So I don't want to cheapen myself and, and also hurt the community because you got to think about if you're throwing out ads at, at low ball, bare bones prices, well, then they're going to come to the rest of us and say, hey, well, I got, you know, I'm used to paying this much. So why are you higher? You know, so uh, that I've always kind of had to think about that as well, because, you know, we all need to kind of stand together and uh, command our value because we have it. You know, we're building a, a huge portion of this business and and driving people to this segment uh, by producing all of this content. So, uh, but yeah, to, to kind of sweeten the pot, a lot of times I'll do a, a sponsored social media post or something like that. And that that usually will be enough to to seal the deal. And if not, then you know, I'll, I'll walk away. I mean, I've definitely done that before and I'm not really afraid to do that because again, you got to maintain your value and another person will come along. You just got to trust that. So I think uh, lowballing yourself is not a, not a good thing to get into a habit of doing. Yeah. Saying no is a, is a massive part of owning any type of business. You know, you yeah. have to be able to look at the situation and say, uh, you know, weights and balances of what, where you're going to get value, where they're getting value and, uh, how much you're of a hit you're going to, you're going to take. Um, cause it's easy to look at it and go, well, you know, if I have zero and then I have a thousand, I'm obviously going to take the thousand. Well, yep. not, a, not necessarily if, if that, if there's a possible for 3000 that you're going to miss because yeah, of exactly. that thousand. And like, and, yeah. and so that's a concept that a lot of us struggle with. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of different to to look at it in the sponsorship context because we're dealing with a digital product and because we're dealing with something we're already doing essentially. Um, It feels like free money, you know, so it's like really hard to turn that down. But when you're selling a, uh, when you're selling a good, you know, a lot of us will take whatever we can get for something. Um, especially if it's a custom piece, just because, uh, you, you're like, well, it's going to cost me 500 bucks in materials. I'll take $505, you know, what, (laughs) and, and that's not the mentality you want. Like you said, once you start cheapening yourself, you're setting a price point that is essentially going to establish you in a certain tier or with, uh, you know, people are going to look at you a certain way. Um, and then you're kind of stuck there, you know, what's, um, what's, what's interesting about our space and in the influencer space is that you do have numbers on your side. So, you know, when when we all come to the end of the fourth quarter and go to renegotiate contracts with our long term sponsors, you look at the numbers and go, you know, hey, my, my channel's doubled. Um, my impressions have doubled, you know, yada, yada, blah, blah. But when it comes to saying no to, uh, you know, clients, um, if you take a client at a cheap price point and they come back to you, you can't just out, out of nowhere <laughs> quadruple your price because all of a sudden you feel like you're a better woodworker. They're going to have in their mind a a mindset established based on what you've previously done with them. So don't just go and cheapen yourself for the sake of making a buck um, at the moment, because long term it 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 will bite you. I've been in those situations. You know, I've had a I had a client about four and a half years ago who was looking for a live edge table. Um, They were looking for a dark table with metal legs, right? Um, and I wasn't doing a lot of custom work at the time, so I took the job. I want to say it was like a thousand bucks for the table, which is a great number, right? 
Well, not when you have to go and buy the materials and you have no idea what you're doing. And then you have to sub out the metal work because I couldn't weld yet. Um, so, and then I had to go back three times uh, to fix it because the dude was destroying it. And I didn't have my numbers and everything properly. In place. So like this dude ended up costing me a bunch of money. But yep. when it come to him wanting a coffee table and I wanted to charge him $1,200 for the coffee table, he already had in his mind that um, I, I was a cheap guy. Like, you know, he, he was going to be able to get some crazy deal on me. Um, and it wasn't able to work out necessarily because I already set the precedence with my undervalued price point initially. So make sure you're not doing that to yourself. Um, we know a lot of our listeners are getting into the influencer space. And a lot of them are just hammering out amazing content on on social. Um, and, and so just make sure you're valuing yourself enough to say no to these yep. sponsors. Um, because same thing goes exactly, for free product too. Of exactly you know? what you just said, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My only, my only advocation for taking free product at, is if one, the product adds value to your workflow or two, um, you're doing custom work and that, and that product is something that can supplement what actually makes money for your business. Um, that's kind of why I got into the influencer spaces. Cause I was like, Oh, I can get free tools because of my audience. And then that can help me make and produce better custom work without incurring that cost. Um, so it was kind of a workaround, but you know, looking at it now, the free product concept as, as my workflow goes, um, you know, I have literally <laughs> everything I could possibly need oh, yeah. from a certain standpoint. Now it's just a matter of scaling up in that um, you want to make sure that you're saying no to the right things and the right for the right reasons as well. Not just saying no, you know, to stand on a moral ground, <laughs> uh, evaluate the situation. There's going to be times when, uh, you know, you're going to take a tool just to, you know, figure out how it works or what what not to give your opinion in order to provide value to the relationship long term. Yep. Don't just say no to free tools because you, you know, you have a drill or whatever. Uh, you know, you did you do need to evaluate the process. Um, so, yeah, in, in, a, <laughs> in a roundabout way, saying no is vitally important to your business. Um, I think it's interesting to see you talk, touch on it with sponsors because we have talked about it in the past on the show, um, you know, obviously as brand and product goes but you know flipping the script you know how do you uh so how do you kind of pick the sponsors you want to work with now because you're a pretty big brand um especially in our space as you've continued to grow obviously we all get inquiries and stuff um so like how do you look at it now as like a big picture kind of thing going into the future you know who not not so much saying no but like who are you saying yes to and like what types of companies do you see yourself wanting to work with here in the future (laughs) Yeah, I think that's been one kind of interesting thing is as my channel has grown, I think I've also evolved as a woodworker. So I started getting into nicer pieces and, you know, using a lot more hardwood and and that kind of thing. So uh, I I think trying to think about the tools that fit my brand is also an interesting thing. You know, to me, I don't think Ryobi fits my brand. Like I I just, that's not this type of stuff I build. No, no hate against Ryobi or anything like that. They make fine tools. But for me, I think, you know, Powermatic and Festival fit a lot better for me because if you're wanting to get into that higher end stuff, maybe doing client work, maybe doing some production work, you're going to want those tools that have a lot of precision and accuracy and are going to allow you to do things efficiently. And so that's, I think, one of the big things I've thought about is moving forward. Who am I going to be really proud to work with? And who am I, you know, maybe not going to outgrow as well, you know, because if I was using a more budget friendly tool and I was getting tired of it, that can get really tricky if you have a sponsored relationship with that company. So I think that's been a big thing uh, as I've uh, moved forward. But uh, yeah, I think just trying to make things fit my brand right and think about how my content is going to continue to evolve. And, you know, one day I'd love to like build a a tiny house on my property and, you know, with solar and stuff like that. So, okay, well, what, what tool brands might I want to be working with at that point? And, you know, just, just thinking how things are are going to evolve. Cause you know, if if I built the same coffee table every week, I'd get pretty bored. So, you know, I've got to think about what I'm going to want to be doing in, you know, the next five years or, or that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So it brings up an interesting question on that too, Johnny, because I know like this is something that we all struggle with or that we can struggle with when you get those, uh, because some when you get the relationships with the sponsors that uh, what we would all love is to have the long-term relationship, right? Because that that's the best for both, for both brands, in my opinion, right? Because then like you can get that where they're entrenched in your shop, you're using them uh, that's just like something that you always know, like, like Mark and Powermatic, like yep. everybody, everybody looks at Mark and the, you think about the, the gold standard and he's been working with them for years and years and years and years. And that is just a seamless 
uh, you know, kind of the same way with me and Rigid. Like I've been yep. working with Rigid for three or four years now. And, and so those are always great, but you get also the one-off and not necessarily because um, a lot of times it's like what you mentioned earlier, it's because of their budget. Like, hey, we can sponsor you for two projects. Uh, and then you might love to work with them again. And let's just say it's a, it's a glue, it's a glue manufacturer, right? And so you work with them, you're like, yeah, I love your glue. Uh, and then you go back to them, hey, I've got more projects, I want to sign in. They say, hey, you know, sorry, we can't, uh, our budget's all spent or we're not investing as much in marketing or whatever it is, for whatever reason, they don't, they don't pony back up. So then you've got to switch brands. How, you know, how have you handled that, like working with similar brands or brands that make similar products? Because I think that there's always that thing where, you know, you start getting the sellout. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you, you just use brand A glue. <laughs> how can you possibly use brand B Definitely. glue? Because like, what is good? Like, how have you navigated that? Because that's, I mean, that is obviously one of the things with working as, with as many sponsors as you do that you've got to run into using competing products uh, over the course of, you know, a year or, or two years for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think back and I, I feel like there haven't, there hasn't been a ton of that. Like when I, that's another thing I guess when I pick sponsors is I try to pick sponsors that are in maybe different categories, you know, like a plywood brand, a finishes brand, you know, like Rockler, they make what they do everything, I guess, but you know, like uh, a powermatic uh, or like a handheld power tool brand. So uh, a lot of those companies don't necessarily compete, you know, like Bestool and Powermatic, they have no, they don't really compete in, in my opinion. And uh, like somebody like Rockler, they're, they're great because they do everything. So, uh, and, and they don't really care. Like if I get a drawer slide sponsor, it's not going to make Rockler angry because there's a million and one other things I can promote on the Rockler side. So, um, I, I think I've been fortunate in that I really, I'm trying to think, but I don't think I've had to deal with that at all. It, and it would be really tricky, I think, because you're right. People are very quick to call you a sellout. And I've got that plenty. And honestly, I don't care because like, if you don't understand that this is how I make my living, I don't want you watching my videos. Like if that's too much for you to comprehend, goodbye. Because this is uh, <laughs> this is how this works. You're getting free content you're not paying a dime for. And so if you can't sit through 30 seconds of me talking about something that relates to the project generally, then, you know, I, I really don't, I don't have time for you. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had to deal with that. I don't think, uh, which is fortunate and that would be, it would be challenging. I mean, I think explaining it would probably, to me, being transparent is always the best. Like I'm very clear about when, uh, things I'm using are sponsored and what's an ad spot and what's not, uh, you know, I always check the little includes paid promotion box. Like I, I try to make it as transparent as humanly possible. Cause I don't want to like be trying to sneak in an ad and, you know, doing anything, you know, nefarious under the radar and like, Oh, I didn't even realize that was an ad, you know, like I, I, I want to be super clear about it. You know, like every form of media is ad supported for the most part. Uh, and you know, I, I feel like we're no different. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just honest about it. And I think if I had to switch brands, I'd be honest about it and say, Hey, you know, I've got this new relationship. Uh, it's, it's better for my business. It's better for what I do. Hopefully you guys will uh, be supportive of that. And, you know, just, just make it, make it easy. Yeah. And that, like going back to, you know, we, we've been talking about Mark a lot. I know he's a, a friend of all ours oh, and yeah. a, a pillar in the community. But like when he went away from Festool, totally. right? I mean, like, that, like he ended up like I think he just got so many questions. He ended up doing a blog post Definitely. about it. And it was did. like, what was the what's the deal with Festool or where did Festool go or whatever it was. And uh, and I think he handled that extremely well. Totally. And he just basically explained it and like it was a business decision for them. And, you know, like these tools are great, but there's other tools out there. And I want to I want to go check them out as well. And for my business, that's what I need to do. I'm not going to get rid of all of them because, you know, they are great tools and I'm going to keep the, you know, the the domino and the tracks are whatever he ended up keeping. Mm -hmm. And and but, you know, I don't need a capex like so I'm going to go check out other miter saws and that allowed him to do other content. Yep. Uh, which which was great. So, yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting way, but I know a lot of people are worried about that. Like, Oh, how do I, how do I deal with, because I've got multiple sponsors coming at me. Like, well, I've, I've got, you know, the yellow brand and the orange brand and the green brand. And now, so now what do I do? Yep. It's like, can I use them all? And it's like, you know, I don't think it's as big of a deal because of like what you're saying. I think if you're forward and upfront, but, uh, yeah, yeah the, the, the ones I always love the comments where it's like, you know, you go through it, you're like making this thing. And then like some commenter on YouTube would be like, I can't believe like this is just an ad. It's like, this is actually not just an ad. No. Like, yes, I, 
I used a power washer, yes. but I just restored my playset. Yes. I just showed you how to restore a playset. Like this yes. is like this is ad this supported is educational content. I, you know, exactly. if you didn't learn something, then you're not watching close right. enough. You know, it, it's it's. I just find it funny, like that point of view. That yeah, you just pulled something over on me. It's like yeah. no, I did. Like yeah. I I did this legitimate thing. Like if you just put a black label over whatever products I used, I still made a thing. Yes. I still did a project, and so yeah, I, I I love that outlook. It's just like you're like yeah, yeah I don't care. I'm, yeah, you know. Don't worry about what they're what they're saying because you know you're providing value and I you know totally agree like nobody nobody gets outraged when you're watching like you know college football on Saturday yeah. and like what is this ad yeah. Tostitos <laughs> that guy's <laughs> drinking a Gatorade are you, bottle I, I can't are believe you it's a big Gatorade me? ad I'm like well yeah it's called product placement it's been around for like 50 yeah. years okay get over it yeah. That I think that's I love that I love that perspective because when you relate it to TV it just it, it's like so incomprehensible oh, yeah. it's like yeah. Yeah, I think um, so. So one thing I deal with a lot, and I'm sure it's similar for you, Johnny, is the uh, <laughs> is the naysayers about the shop. I get it oh, all the yeah, time. Dude. It's like it's like, oh, this is a 10 minute video. If I had one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars in equipment, oh, yeah. I could do this. In the 10 numbers minutes. they throw like, out whoa, are whoa, whoa. hilarious. <laughs> Listen, it's one hundred forty eight thousand three hundred seventy two dollars. <laughs> yeah, get it right. And secondly, it might take you 11 minutes if you yeah. don't have this tool. Yeah. But like how often do you get that and how do you deal with it? Because that's a. That's a common thing. I mean, you and I kind of um, float towards the more high-end tools, Definitely. more of like the um, professional style uh, product, especially when it comes to the the shop atmosphere compared to more of like a very raw DIY. And I know you've done some, um, you know, basic tool projects as yep. well. But how, but how do you deal with kind of keeping the brand diverse in that um, and also deal with, uh, you know, keeping it uh, consumable from a broad audience perspective. Because yeah. I know we get a lot of listeners that are like, I don't think anyone wants to watch this. And it's like, well, why? And they'll have a, th- a list of a thousand excuses. No. Um, and we could easily do the same thing. And that's something we deal with a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think when I uh, got into this, uh, there's some, I, I don't know who said it, but there's some phrase that, that kind of resonated with me. There's an ass for every seat. So no matter what you do, somebody's going to be into it, you know? So, just do your thing and people will, will come and enjoy your stuff. And, and for me, I am like a tech and gear nerd. So when I got into this, I knew I was just going to want the nicest stuff around. And it also obviously has the benefits of allowing me to work faster and and more efficiently. Uh, But when people leave those comments, I think 90% of the time it's coming from a a place of insecurity in themselves, you know, them thinking, oh, well, I can't build that because I don't have that. When in reality, they can't build that because they don't think they can build that. You know, like you can build 90% of the things I make with like a circular saw and a drill and a router. Uh, You really don't need all the crazy fancy stuff and uh it's just an excuse so i I definitely get it a ton especially you know when you post on places like reddit uh where they think a drill is like a a a big time tool you know they're like well i have a hammer what can i make i'm like well i'm sorry man (laughs) you know like and they're like well if i buy that saw it's going to be more expensive than i going to buy the piece from ikea and i'm like yes if you built one project and bought all the tools for it you would come out at a major loss you know the idea is that this stuff is an investment over time and that it will eventually pay off. And honestly, it probably won't. Like the reason we do this stuff is because it's fun and you can build custom things for your house and you get a lot of pride out of it, making something that's tangible. Um, But yeah, I think uh, it's just a lot of insecurity coming out when people leave those comments or just, you know, maybe naivety depending on where you're posting. Um, But again, if they can't reconcile that and, you know, I usually ignore those comments then they shouldn't be watching my stuff because it's not like I'm going to be getting rid of this stuff anytime soon. So, you know, I, I think it fits my brand at the end of the day because of the types of things that I like to build. And, and you know, if, if they're not about it, then I, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, ignore just not, the haters. Yeah, they're just, they're just <laughs> not going to be my viewers. You know? Yeah, going, going back to the um, Tim Ferriss comment you made earlier, I'm also a big fan um, and have read a bunch of his books as well as his blog and, and listened to the podcast. He's got an interesting perspective on naysayers and, and, and quote unquote haters. Oh, yeah. um, and it's typically I, I, I don't know the percentages exactly. And we can we could find the article for you guys and put in the show notes. But he says something along the lines of like 85 percent of the time he will ignore it. Ten percent of the time he will respond um, and then five percent he deletes it or something. Yeah. But in that 10 percent, he uses those opportunities for an educational experience. And I think it's interesting in this context to look at that and go, well, you know, 
there there's a uh, always assume positive intent. I think we said that on like the second episode of the show, Brad. And um, and in that, you know, someone may be just posting on a uh, on a, on one of your projects saying, you know, how can I build this um, without all of the tools? And they could genuinely be curious. Yes. Instead of just being like, oh, my God, you've got powermatic everywhere. I'm going to yeah. I'm never going to be able to. So in that, you know, look at those situations and analyze it if you're in there. If you're and there could be a language barrier situation. there, too. You know? Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. And and yeah. if you see an opportunity to educate or help, that's when you want to respond and not just ignore um, and use that as a situation to teach or, or coach someone up um, in order uh, to do things. Um, what you do a good job of, Johnny, on your channel is you do have supplemental content you can drive them to and say, hey, you know, if you want to build this coffee table, I do have two videos on basic woodworking tools yep. that you can check out. Um, use that as an educational experience. You don't have to always ignore um, have the haters, uh, but you, most of the time you're going to, yep. um, Brad, Brad and I were looking at one of my videos. I built a, I built a gun box and it was just <laughs> oh, <yeah>. filled with, <laughs> filled with negativity. And, um, and we were, we were talking like, you know, how would you handle it? And we had the conversation and I just let it ride. And what ended up happening was a lot of that filtered itself out too. Um, a lot of people that were having negative comments were actually getting filtered out by my audience who was viewing it and was like, whoa, massive disclaimers here. You know, there was, he is not per, uh, uh, excuse me, advocating for the purchase or usage of guns in any way, shape or form. He's just a video showing how he stores his, uh, you know, the, and then actual supporters or whatever their opinions were got on it for there. And I think that happens a lot with, with individuals like us as influencers is that our audience will actually stick up for us. Um, in those situations where someone's trying to, you know, bash you or jump down your throat. Cause there's such a, don't let that stuff get to you. It's such a minimal aspect of your audience yeah. that if someone wants to go out on a limb to make you feel bad, like Johnny said, it's typically insecurity. Um, Definitely. you know, let it ride unless you see an opportunity for education. And that's in any way, if you're building furniture, people are going to love it. People are going to hate it. Yeah. And people are going to give you their opinions like that. They're going to go, you don't hey, have people saying they don't sucks. like you. You're doing something wrong for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. you can't yeah. just be too vanilla because then it, nobody's going to love you. Everybody might like you, but nobody's going to really rally behind you. And I think that is a hard position to take. And it's something that I kind of struggle with, like toning myself down too much even. Um but yeah, yeah, I, mean, I toned myself like way down. Oh yeah, so me it's too. Like, <laughs> it's I mean. like because you you want to be uh, you want to be approachable and you don't want to because it's hard to believe that there's other people out there that are just like you, especially yeah. when you don't know them. Um, but I mean that is a great piece of advice for anybody listening is like just be yourself in those situations. Like, <clears throat> don't overthink it. Approach it as you would, um, and then definitely don't react emotionally, especially in a negative oh, situation. Yeah. Like. Uh, keep emotions out of it whenever you can always in business. Yeah. I mean, I tend to keep emotions out of life, which I get a lot of pushback on, <laughs> but like in that, you know, you want to, you want to make sure that you're have a rational response, especially in those negative situations. Um, and that's yes. a good piece of advice. Yeah. Definitely. Johnny, for, for one anything. thing I wanted to, to touch on, uh, as we're sitting here before we start wrapping up is because I know that you're, um, that you've been doing, I think you've got it on your channel before is that another new way that to monetize, uh, your channel has been the new YouTube. It used to be called YouTube sponsorship. Now I believe it's called membership, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. It's like, what, $4.99 a month and people yeah. can come on there. It's kind of like an alternative to Patreon and that you've actually gone away from Patreon and now we're doing that. How How's that working out for you? And, you know, what, what do you see long-term uh, prospects for that? Yeah, so it's essentially a Patreon alternative because I think YouTube has finally wised up and that they need something like that. And they've they've been doing it on the gaming side, I guess, for a, a while. It seems like a year or so. And they're finally kind of rolled it out to uh, most, you know, I think all channels over like 100K or something like that, maybe even less than that. But um, basically... No, yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a subscription model for your YouTube viewers. And, and I think it's still lacking a little bit in that it's not super built out. It essentially uses like leverages the community tab. And basically mm -hmm. you just can create posts that only your sponsors or, or members can see. So um, it is a bit limited in that way. Uh, but for me, Patreon was just another thing to try to manage. Patreon's never been a big part of my business. I'm super appreciative of all my Patreon supporters, of course, but it's just not something that has ever uh, shown a lot of promise for me. And it was just another website and another email notification thing that I had to keep up with. And, you know, if it was a 
t-shirt tier, another thing I had to like fulfill. So it just wasn't a, a super effective thing for me and, and for my business. So um, the YouTube side has essentially like I had some people switch over from Patreon, but then a, a, some more people have kind of joined on. It's still very low numbers, um, but it's something I'm hoping to grow over time. I think the biggest thing is just figuring out what those people want. And that's kind of hard because I think a lot of them don't really care about any of the extras. They just want a way to support you directly because your content is valuable to them. Um, but then some of the other people, you really got to kind of rope in with the extras. And I think it's just figuring out what those are and what I can you know, consistently do month to month uh, to, to kind of make those people incentivized to get into that program. Um, cause it's not cheap. I mean, five bucks is, uh, you know, that's, that's getting close to Hulu and Netflix dollars. And I, I know that there's a lot more on Netflix than there is on my channel. So, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I don't blame people for not doing it at all. And, and that price is set by YouTube. We cannot change it at this point. I'm hoping they allow that to be changed in the future. Cause I think that's a little on the high side, but, uh, it's been a slow grow for me. I think, you know, the more sponsored like ad spots you have in your videos, the harder it is to grow something like that. Cause I feel like the audience, right. they just see, okay, well this guy's got advertisers, so he must be doing okay. So he probably doesn't need my five bucks. Um, and in a lot of ways that's true. So, you know, I, I really appreciate people who feel like they want to support me in that way. And I think it's cool to build that super tight, like super fan community. Um, yep. but at the same time, it's all just kind of a big experiment for me in that arena. And it's, never moved the needle in in my business but uh we'll see how it goes you know i think i've been doing these kind of monthly vlog things um which i don't know that that's really the the thing for me because they're super hard to keep up with i, I feel like maybe a q a would be better and more relevant so it's just figuring out what uh, what those people get value out of and uh you know what what they want to know from me, I guess. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, I think that's why they all, you know, people like following us because clearly we have some sort of knowledge that uh, they find valuable. So um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going okay, but it's, yeah, it's, I'm with you. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like Patreon. I mean, same type thing. Like it's, I mean, for us, it's really nice for the podcast yeah, it's because great. we do have the after show, right? Yep. So there's a, a really distinct like, hey, look, it's five bucks a month. You get the after show and you get access to the Facebook group yep. just for patrons where there's some really rich conversations and you can get a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, you also get access to ask us the questions for the after show. So there's like that direct value. It's a really easy sell. And John and I can just incorporate that into that. Like right after we get done talking, we're going to go record an after show. And yep. that's just part of the, the process. So I, I totally agree with you. And I've uh, with my personal Patreon, same thing. I've kind of struggled and been up and down and and uh, and and totally agree with you. But so finishing up here, and it's been awesome talking to you, but with you have one piece of advice, we always like to get our guests to give our audience. If you're just starting out, you know, or what did you wish that you knew when you're just starting out uh, in content creation and or woodworking? Yeah, I think for me, I think the biggest key to success in all this is just consistency and quality. And that that's something one of my old bosses was was really, uh, you know, kind of into, especially when it came to producing content for the business was just, if you say you're going to do it, keep doing it. Because that is, I think, where 90% of people probably fail when they're trying to do this stuff is getting through the first, you know, three, six, nine months where nobody's watching your videos. It's really hard and really discouraging right. to spend all this time and have nobody see that content. And if you can force yourself to keep at it, it will grow. You know, like there's just, to me, I think there's just no way that's not going to happen. So, um, you know, make a commitment to yourself and, and, you know, put in the work and keep doing it. And, eventually the business will work out for you, I believe. And of course, there's lots of little best practices to follow along the way. But at the end of the day, if you're putting stuff out consistently and it's of good quality, you know, the business is going to come. So, 100% agree, man. I, I always tell people that I think anybody can do this. Yeah. Uh, anybody with grit and stick to this and that obviously you need good content, but you're, you know, you just got to keep beating your head against the wall. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> so much. Say. Yep. Uh, until until it goes. So, dude, awesome, man. Dude, great having you on the show. Yeah, Some man. really great insights into uh, the efficiency and the sponsorship realm because, like I said, I think that's that's a place that you really excel. So I hope our audience has learned some new things and uh, some up-and-comers will get some great content out of this. Yeah, I hope so, man. It was a lot of fun. Glad to, glad to be on and 
don't know when we're going to be hanging out again. I guess it might be WorkbenchCon for the three of us, unless you two get uh, over to Asheville, which, you know, I'd like to make happen as well. Yeah. 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 Do dude, you have enough room for us now? Yeah, after, you guys can oh, yeah, share a I'll queen bed. i Johnny Five. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Johnny Five. Well, like, yeah, I'm good with kids, dude. I got three of can them. Can you fit in a crib? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll throw them on the shoulder. Like, Johnny, Johnny Five, let's do this. Uh, yeah. yeah it'd, be, uh, it'd be good times. I definitely got enough room in the shop. We can have three people simultaneously working. It's It's been done before, so. You do uh, have a quite an impressive shop, my friend. It's, so It's good. Been, a blast, it, been a blast having you on, dude. I really for appreciate sure. it. Uh, I've got, I've got got some uh notes to take myself here because uh, all the efficiency talk has me like uh, i'm salivating over here oh, yeah, to, try to, to get my workflow even better so appreciate having you on johnny it's been a blast yeah thanks y'all all right brother have a good one dude always great talking to johnny man i love his mindset in it and some really cool learnings there for especially for folks coming on new to the scene i think he did it really well coming onto the youtube channel yeah, he's a beast with the sponsors, man, and he is extremely efficient in like everything that he does. Um, it's cool to see somebody who's not technically doing uh, the production side of the business focusing on efficiency because that typically tends to be where you focus on that stuff. So absolutely really good stuff. You can do it on both sides of it for sure. But thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. Make sure you check out the show notes at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 61. We'll have links there where you can check out Johnny's channel and all of his information there. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at Made for Profit to keep up with what we're doing on a daily basis. Drop us some questions and engage with the MFP tribe. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. John, let's go hit this after show, man. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>